Hi, everyone, and welcome to Dead to Rights, December 2nd, 2018, episode number 48, featuring Rosemary McCracken and the short story, Antonia. I'm your host, Donna Carrick. We have a fantastic end-of-year lineup scheduled for December 2018. On December 9th, we'll have our interview with author Marta Moran Bishop, Emotions, Dinky the Nurse Mare's Fool, and The Void. We'll also be reading our short story, Belief, by Jane Peterson Burfield, which appeared in EFD1 Starship Goodwords, Carrick Publishing, 2012. On December 16th, we'll bring you an interview with author E.C. Frey, Entangled Moon, and also a reading of Kitty Claws to the Rescue by Rosemary Aubert, and that's from the anthology Thirteen Claws by the Maydams of Mayhem, Carrick Publishing 2017. On the 23rd, we're going to bring you Marilyn Kay, author of That Damn Cat and Journey into the Dark. We'll also have a reading of That Damn Cat, which appeared in Thirteen Claws by the Maydams of Mayhem, Carrick Publishing 2017. On December 30th, I'm going to bring back my very dear friend, Joan O'Callaghan, author of Colors of Canada, Amazing Days, and many other great titles. And I'm going to read her short story, Thrice the Brinded Cat, which appeared in 13 O'Clock by the Maydams of Mayhem, Carrick Publishing 2015. In book industry news, we're being told that audiobooks are the hottest trend for 2018. Personally, I believe it. I've done the vast majority of my reading via Audible this year, and it has not disappointed. In fact, I'm currently listening to Becoming by Michelle Obama. Yes, that Michelle Obama. I'm not at a point yet where I can give a proper review. I'm what you might call an honest reviewer, and I have to actually read or listen to the work before I review it. But I'm far enough in that I can tell you I'm looking forward to giving it my dead-to-write seal of approval before the end of this year. So tune in over the next few weeks and I'll share my thoughts with you. I'm actually really in love with the Audible technology, so much so that my goal for 2019 is to convert all of my own titles and anthologies to Audible and make them available for listeners. That's a project I cannot wait to dive into. I'll keep you posted as each new title becomes available. In other news this week, we're saying goodbye to an American president, a statesman, and a gentleman. President George H.W. Bush. I did not agree with most of his policies, but even during his presidency I recognized that he was a leader, cast in the mold of so many leaders. Some of us will revere his work, others will decry it, but I believe most of us can agree that he had the interests of the West and the world at heart throughout his efforts. And so I send my condolences on behalf of Carrick Publishing and my own family to the Bush family on their great loss. Rest in peace, Mr. President, and thank you for your service. 
Also this week, we learned that longtime lawyer and fixer for Donald J. Trump, Mr. Michael Cohen, has pleaded guilty to lying to Congress and is cooperating with Robert Mueller's team in the investigation into possible American collusion with Russia's involvement in the 2016 presidential campaign. Mr. Cohen is also cooperating with a mysterious side investigation being conducted by the New York Attorney General's office. Cohen revealed in recent testimony that he'd been in close contact with the Trump legal team in the days and weeks leading up to his congressional false testimony. We've seen the intense negative reaction coming from the White House. It now comes down to a wait-and-see experience for those of us who are anxious for developments. Today, I'm thrilled to bring you an interview with one of my favorite Canadian crime writers, Rosemary McCracken, author of Safe Harbor, Raven Lake, and Black Water, the three books that make up the Pat Tierney mystery series. Our reading today will be her short story, Antonia, from World Enough and Crime, Carrick Publishing, 2014. Rosemary McCracken is a Canadian crime fiction writer. Her first Pat Tierney mystery novel, Safe Harbor, was shortlisted for Britain's debut dagger and published by Imagine Books in 2012. Its sequel, Black Heart Water, was released in 2013, followed by Raven Lake in 2016. The Sweetheart Scamster, a Pat Tierney short story in the anthology 13, was a 2014 Derringer finalist. Jack Batten, the Toronto Star's crime fiction reviewer, calls Pat a hugely attractive sleuth figure. Visit Rosemary's blog at rosemarymccracken.wordpress.com and her website www.rosemarymccracken.com. And now, let's give a huge dead-to-rights welcome to Rosemary McCracken. Hi, Donna. Good morning, Rosemary. Welcome to Dead to Rights. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, Are we we being recorded? (laughs) We are being recorded. We are on the air, sort of. We are on the air, okay. (laughs) We're being pre-recorded, yes. Oh, pre-recorded, pre-recorded, okay. Yes, yes. So, you know, any mistakes I can always edit out, you know. (laughs) Great, great, great. Yeah, I wanted to get you on the show, Rosemary, because um, you've got your beautiful Pat Tierney series, and also we've had a lot of excitement um, surrounding the May Dams this year, too. We certainly have. That wasn't that exciting. It sure was. I was sorry you weren't able to make it to the awards, but it was a great, it was really a great event, and um, I know all the ladies would have filled you in, so... Yeah, I, I heard about it. It was it was it was a wonderful, uh, a wonderful evening. Uh, congratulations to Carrick Publishing. Oh, thank uh, you. You, you thank made you. it all possible. Well, it was a lot of fun, believe me, just a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, we're looking forward to doing it again next year. So I don't know yet what the theme is going to be for the next 13, but um, as soon as we know, we'll definitely announce it to our listeners. Uh, now, Rosemary, when did you first start writing fiction? Because I know that you wrote, you were um, a financial writer, is that correct? Uh, I, I was a journalist. I, I made my living um, by writing uh, pretty well all my life. Uh, ever since I um, finished, um, let's see, well, I taught, I, I finished university and I taught for a year 
and uh, I then I decided to be to go into journalism from there, and uh, so I was about uh, 22, 23, at, when I, I started, uh, got my first job at, a, actually 23, first a summer job at the Toronto Star. And I, I worked at, in newspapers. Uh, I went to the Windsor Star for a couple of years. I went to the Montreal Star. The Montreal Star folded. I went to the Calgary Herald and came uh, to Toronto. And all this time, I wasn't working in financial journalism. I was working in all sorts of other other things. I worked in the entertainment department for a long time at the Calgary Herald. I covered ballet and all sorts of um, uh, ballet was my not ballet dance was my and including ballet my main beat. I I did editing. Uh, I was an editorial writer out there uh, on the the editorials on the editorial page. Uh, came back because my mother was getting old and uh, uh, she was in Montreal, but I got a job in Toronto, back here in Toronto. Still wasn't working in financial journalism, but I, I made the move. I went to the uh, uh, the the, uh, the Financial Post. That was before the na- before the the National po- uh, Post started. That was in the seven days, eh? No, 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 no. That there, there, there was a national, po- there was a financial post that was a weekly, um, a long time ago. But this would have been uh, when I started at the National Post was let me see in the nineties, mm-hmm. and it, it was it was weekly. It was in the old Sun Building. Mm-hmm. That's how I met my husband. Uh, he was he was working at the Sun, uh, Ed. But. Um, and I, I worked at a, a public a publication, and I'll, one of, one of the publications I worked at was Daily Commercial News, where I think Alex was working there, wasn't he? Alex was working. Um, he worked for Southern for the um, construction market data for Canada. Yeah, He's so an we were, uh, yeah. it was very closely associated. Yeah, the, so I, it, uh, Daily Commercial News was the construction newspaper, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Uh, so and I still at, is for in a fact time, not not too long for six months, and then I got a job at the. I left because I got a job at the Financial Post as a, as a, an editor, copy mm-hmm. editor, on the news desk, and um, uh, so that was. I'm trying to think of the year. It was ninety one, uh, somewhere in there, ninety one, ninety two, uh, in there, and so it was in the nineties. And then uh, then I left to go to a. Then I went off to a. Uh, financial paper uh, for a trade paper called investment executive and got the idea of pat tyranny there by the time i i left there as soon as i left the, the financial post it merged into the national post mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so i wasn't there i wasn't at actually at the national that was post. well after the southern days that the national post came on the scene because oh, well, um, no no well in the 90s it was in the 90s mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, i'm just trying to think exactly what year um because Ed and I got married in 94, and you don't have to put this in. I think um, it would have been 96, 97, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, so, so when the National Post started, I was out. I had just had left about six months before. I worked at this National uh, this, and so I was writing fiction all this time. Uh, I guess since I came back to Toronto, uh, and um, I, you know, was, was older, and I, you know, I was when you're younger you're kind of running around um maybe doing a lot of freelance work you know so you can save up to buy a house and all of that so mm-hmm. I, I i wasn't doing any fiction but came back to toronto and in that period 
uh, around perhaps a little bit before I met Ed, uh, start, starting to write fiction. But I was writing, I was writing um, uh, mainstream fiction, mm-hmm. and I um, then I realized that I needed to know more about plotting <laughs> because mm-hmm. even even mainstream fiction has plot, mm-hmm. and I started. Um, uh, reading mysteries, and especially Ed was a great mystery fan. I had read them when I was a kid, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, but I wasn't reading uh, uh, mysteries at that point, but I started reading them, and I just fell in love with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I re- rarely read anything else now. So, so uh, you went from writing, you went from writing about dance to writing about financial... Oh, no, I wrote about dance, I wrote about religion... Um, so I, when I, I wrote all about all sorts of things, and then I, so, and I took this, I got this job at the Financial Post, uh, when it, it was the Weekly Financial Post. It was a five day a week uh, at that point. I don't think it was on the weekends, and I didn't have a clue about financial uh, matters at all. I mean, I knew how to add up my. You know, to, I I could you know, my bank account. I could mm-hmm. I could follow that. That was pretty well it. Uh, I didn't I didn't have a back. I had a, a, an MA in English Lit, so I had no no business courses at all. But they insisted not insisted, but they strongly suggested that I take the Canadian Securities course. Everybody take the Canadian Securities course, and I was being hired as an editor. But and uh, so you know I had to. To it, it went through other edit, other eyes as well, but I had to uh, smooth out the language and the stories and make sure the you know, the grammar was correct and that. Mm-hmm. But I had to spot I had to spot mistakes. So I took it, it had to do with you know the, the the news being reported, which was which was money. So I took the Canadian Securities course, and I always thought I was was bad at numbers. I never quite liked math when I was in school, but I think I was probably just the girls didn't like math. And I, it, you know, you know how you are when you're a, 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 a youngster and a teenager. The girls don't like like math. It's, it's the boys' subject. But I realized I was pretty good at it. Now maybe mm-hmm. it was because it, it maybe it was because it was to do with money and not abstract uh, yeah, algebra. Yeah. That's funny because uh, getting back to what you were saying about math, yes, that's that's a really common thing for women in particular, for girls, yeah. because we're not encouraged into the maths when we're no, very young. No, and I was no. shocked to find out that um, when I did one of those um, one of those uh, assessments for for your skills, to find that I was in the 99th percentile for maths and that I should yeah. be doing math. And yeah. so I did do a, I did a little bit, um, and I was being encouraged by all the teachers to go into engineering and this sort of thing. But my love had always been literature, so yeah, you know, I just was and not going to pursue that. I mean, it's possible to have two. It, maybe you know, it is. It, well, I've spent I spent my life in living. accounting. I've spent my life in accounting, so I mean that's yeah. where the math comes in, I suppose. Yeah. Well, you have the math and you have the literature. You're you're doing you're doing the both. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. A full yeah. life, exactly. So, yeah. when did you start writing Safe Harbor? Because I, I know I was one of your early readers for Safe Har- Harbor. Yeah. But I can't yeah, remember really. what year that was. Um, I could if if if, if I sat here and thought about it, I, I could probably come up with the year. But it was it was the. Uh, uh, pre, uh, it was a, a version. It wasn't Safe Harbor. It was something called Last Date. That's and right. It was, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was a finalist for the first, the very, very first Unhanged Arthur uh, uh, award. The mm-hmm. um, they 
Louise Penny, I believe, suggested to crime writers uh, to start a uh, contest like the debut dagger in England, mm-hmm. and th- that she had uh, made her breakthrough uh, at, with, with that con- contest. So she suggested we do that here in Canada. That was 07. So that was a book called, um, and I've been working on it for a while. It was called, um, that, that's the one you read mm-hmm. um, around that time, maybe a little bit before before I put it in that contest a year to a year or six months before and it um uh it, it was called it called last date it was the first pat tierney uh, uh mystery and then but i just put it in a drawer so it was um, a prequel it will later it, be it, known as prequel. the prequel and I, I have used parts of it um uh, uh, in the other, uh, uh, have, some parts of it have, have gone into other, uh, the other, the other books, but, uh, uh, so that was 07 and it was uh, the very first Pat Tierney, but it called last, the title was last date. And, uh, I thought at one point of trying to, uh, revise it and, it was too painful. <laughs> sometimes would, it just isn't worth it. I know I've got a couple of early manuscripts and drawers, and uh, yeah. sometimes it's just not worth it. It's better to take your lessons yeah. and move on to something fresh rather than yeah. trying to yeah. polish yeah, up something it, it that just doesn't work. Down with it. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good tip for authors who may be listening right now yeah. that uh, don't expect. You spend too long on on this for like ten years on one book, mm-hmm. and you might it, it might be wise to move on. Yes, yes, and uh, also you know don't expect expect greatness in your first work because it's really unusual I mean if it's there good for you but um, most of us the first book is where we try out all our ideas it's usually yeah. filled with everything you know that's that's true that's so true yeah. yeah yeah but safe harbor so you would have started it around 2008 is that right um well no I was you know you're usually starting number two when the first one is still is you're you're trying to get that out but you're actually working on number two mm-hmm. so I must have started oh seven was the con the contest and uh, but I was probably working on the, on the, I'd moved on to working on the the second which is the first in the series now safe harbor at that time and um, what did I do with that um, uh, oh, so I was working on that for a while, and in uh, I entered it in the uh, in uh, two thousand and nine. I entered it in the uh, in the British Crime Writers Association, the CW. What do they call it? CWA Crime Writers Association of Britain's debut dagger contest in '09, and it's 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 a lot of people that enter that anybody in the English speaking world can enter it. And uh, anyone who writes in English, rather, uh, in any anywhere in the world, so so they have a lot of submissions. And I um, sent it in there in '09, and I didn't hear anything in, in, in a few by a few months. So I know I was told that if you don't hear anything, they don't tell every single person that you haven't made it. Mm-hmm. They just have far too many uh, letters to write. And in those days, they did everything. Even in '09, they were doing everything by letters, not by mm-hmm. email. Uh, so I didn't hear anything, and I took it to, uh, uh, I took it to, I had written it in third person, and this is, I was just thinking about point of view this morning and how very important it is. Uh, so I had written it in third person, and I had taken it to, uh, the reference library here in Toronto had a, uh, Gail Bowen, uh, one of our great crime writers in Canada. Mm-hmm. He like was actually like, just uh, honored with the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award, I believe. Really? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, great! That's great. She she certainly deserves it. And yeah, she was she was in the, she lives in Regina, Saskatchewan, but she was in Toronto. She comes from Ontario herself, I believe, and uh, her husband's American, and they settled in in uh, after their degrees uh, uh, to teach at the university out in Regina, um, and have lived there all their lives. Um, ever since but she came down for a month to be the writer in residence at the reference library and so for that you just you submit a a chapter or about 20 pages of a man first 20 pages of a manuscript and they look at it and they rather they show it to the uh, they, they 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 show it to the writer in residence and they make a date for you to meet her and so she has had time to go over it so i met with her and she said to me this this has to be in first person and mm-hmm. she was dead right and i i love to tell this story too i teach novel writing now at george brown college and i always tell this to the students how important point of view is because uh, I, w- I started to rewrite it and it, it's a big job as you know Donna rewriting your story mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's not just a matter of changing the he or she to I oh, you, no. you have to go through the whole thing and massage every sentence mm-hmm. so I was going through it it was a lot of work but it just it just came to life and I knew she was so dear Gail was so right yeah um, and it just she says you know this this is this woman's story and it's it's very much an emotional journey for her and she uh, it has to be told it's through it her has eyes, to be in Pat's point of view and I, I I have to agree because I've written in both third person and first person and I know the benefits of both and yeah. um, with a story like Pat Tierney's story the story arc that you've got going it really is a first-person narrative, and yeah, the connection yeah. with the character comes through that telling yeah. in her own voice. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I rewrote it, and then I submitted it the next year. I, the first year I did, I did the debut dagger submission was '09, and it, by this time it was '010, and I submitted it the same. The same, you know, uh, they want I believe three, three or five thousand words, and uh, did that, and it made the finalist list. Excellent. And, yeah. So I mean, it, it's all it's contests are. It, it, I, there, there's another factor in contests that it's it's the judges' opinion. You know, it's just certain judges like certain types of mysteries, and yeah. there's so many different subgenres. So you could get a whole, you know, a uh, gamut of judges who don't like the subgenre that you're writing. In. You know, mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. don't take it too personally, but it still was a great thrill. And that and the un, the unhanged Arthur a few years before gave me the fuel to go on writing. Um, I was getting a little bit discouraged at that point, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but that that really and I always tell people to you know to enter contests, but yeah. you know to not to, to, if if you don't get anywhere in them, you know it, it, there's also the matter of the judges. They they just might not like the type of genre that you're mm-hmm. subgenre that you're you're writing in but it, it still is a great um you know a great thing to yes to yes. give you some you know some to start getting feedback and to start making connections with others in the industry and to start uh, placing your work amongst 
the the myriad of works that are out there and finding out what its level is what you could improve and what you're doing really well that sort of thing now the the series safe harbor raven lake and black water obviously there's a pretty strong water theme um watery very watery yeah. yeah they're very watery can you can you tell me about that and does that connect to your cottage life I don't know. Well, the cottage life. Well, I was actually told uh, I was seeing a a, 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 a person who practices Chinese medicine at one point, and I was told that water is my is my symbol. The earth, air, fire. You know the yes, the, yes, absolutely. I don't know what you call them, but I'm water. Okay, uh, but that was that was just a fluke, and uh, it's funny how writers. I was telling this to my class uh, on Tuesday night about symbols and uh, how often the the writer doesn't uh, uh, doesn't know. It, 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 a lot of it is subconscious, and you yes. don't really know what what you're doing. That's and, very common, you know. That's yeah, extremely so, common. So the uh, the safe harbor uh, title was safe harbor in the book is a home for refugees, people who've had their refugee uh, 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 who've come to Canada as refugees and mm-hmm. are waiting for the uh, to go before the tribunal uh, to hear their 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 claim read. Uh, um, and so it's a it's a, play, a safe place for them. Uh, so in but another when I I asked at dear Gail Bowen for an endorsement of the of the book to put on the cover uh, and or on the inside or the front of the back cover. I'm not sure where it was placed on that book, uh, but it's in there somewhere. And she's she said that in the endorsement that Safe Harbor was a. Uh, um, it, for Pat herself, it, it was a. Uh, he worked on various levels, and mm-hmm. Pat, at, at, in the opening of the book, she's she's a widow, and she's been leading a very confined life for the past few years since her husband's death. Sort of shut herself up, and in it, and so she, they're, they're, Safe Harbor works on on. On, on various levels that I never really realized that I was doing. Mm-hmm. So how the watery theme? So that it started with Safe Harbor, just looking for a, a title for that home for refugees. I thought of calling it Casa Norde, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, but the Northern Home uh, would be translated. But the uh, uh, there there are too many places. With, with that name, so I decided to find Safe Harbor, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, Blackwater was the next one, and Raven Lake is the third in the series. Blackwater was that that came uh, 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 that that title was uh, the the art on that uh, 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 the cover art on that shows a snowmobile. Uh, it, it, it's taking place in the. Uh, uh, in cottage country north of Toronto, mm-hmm. and the in, in March when the ice is breaking up, and it's very dangerous to go on the lakes, and there are, it, there are uh, there's patches of black water. And yet every quite... year people do, you know. I yeah, mean, that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the book, I have a scene of a uh, couple of scenes of snowmobile skipping, which is a big sport up there that they actually they uh, a bay that may have ice on 
on two ends, but black water in the middle, they will go skip. They, they, the snowmobile uh, goes very, very fast. Uh, when it hits the water, it will skip like a stone and then hopefully get over to the uh, the other bank of ice and mm-hmm. safety. And sometimes they don't. So they, the, the drivers wear wetsuits underneath yeah. in case they, they fall in. Um, it, it's very exciting to watch. I don't think, I would never dare, dare it try it myself no <laughs> no then, not yeah, even so that, that that comes i guess from my uh my um, years spending uh, my years as a cottager up in uh, the halliburton highlands mm-hmm. where i based the uh, the two books the uh, the second and third book uh, blackwater and raven lake uh i call the area uh i i have a fictitious name for it i call it the glencoe highlands mm-hmm. uh because i don't want to be confined to specific uh you know specific towns that have sp- yeah I, specific like geographic of, layouts and yeah. things like that you want to be able to mix it up for your character's needs exactly exactly, exactly. but uh you still you get a strong feel of canadian geography and um places and i love that i i mean i think that readers around the world are gaining more interest for canada i think in the old days we were always told that we had to set our stories in chicago you know um but that's just not as true anymore and uh giles blunt made a lot of headway with his fictitious uh north bay style region and um that that helped a lot, but I think more and more Canadian writers are finding their way home, and um, their characters are are exploring places that are real to them, and that comes through because geography really is a character, and um, setting really is a character, and it's got to be explored with a true passion and a true connection. Otherwise, that shows to the reader, you know. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Now, as well as your series, you've also had a number of short stories published. You've got uh, Crazy in Black Coffee. You've got Plastic Patties and Destination Mystery. Nick of Time, I loved, in 13 o'clock. Antonia was maybe one of my favorites, and that was in World Enough and Crime. And right. The Sweetheart Scamster was a finalist for the Derringer Award in 2014, I believe. That's um, right. You've had the prepaid funeral and crossing over, which was in the whole shebang in 2012, which was a Sisters in Crime publication. Um, now, what was the story that you had in 13 Claws? 13 Claws, that was, uh, oh, Homebodies. Homebodies. That, that I introduced a new uh, protagonist, uh, a male. I, I've written for the first time. It, uh, um, it was uh, for, for, uh, from a man's point of view uh, that there were that, that was a cat story, and there was a, uh, my protagonist was Henry, and the cat was um, uh, Romeo, uh, the name of a cat that I once had, and um, uh, so that, that was called Homebodies. It was these, this uh, grouchy old man and, and and a cat, and they both thought they were the masters of their ho- of their house. And I actually wrote another story, for, uh, another Henry story, and I just um, was told that it, it will be published in uh, in a, a fairly new magazine called Mystery Weekly. Oh, excellent, excellent. Yeah, that, that's called Black Bear Country. That I take cute. Henry uh, up to uh, up to cottage country, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Henry does not like the country, <laughs> and <laughs> the bugs and the bears and all the things that go with it, but yeah. he, he goes up because his wife wants to go and have a 
couple of weeks at a cottage. Now, I found Antonia was a really creepy one. It, it kind of had a little dark edge to it. Can you tell us a little bit about Antonia, which was in World Enough in Crime? And that was, I believe, a Pat Tierney mystery. Yeah, that was a Pat Tierney mystery. Uh, yeah, Pat has a client who is a successful owner of a, of a high-end spa in Toronto, and she's quite glamorous. Pat is quite taken with her, and it's it's, the, uh, uh, it's also a story of, of, of a woman's friendship. It, Pat is her financial advisor, and so it's a business relationship, but they become friends, and they have lunch together, and uh, it's it's the story of, 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 of women's friendship mm-hmm. uh, to, to women who are friends, and uh, Pat is quite fascinated with her. Uh, she's very glamorous, very, very outgoing, very beautiful, and I won't say too much or I might give the ending away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because it is, after all, a short story. <laughs> that's right, that's right. It's just one that I particularly like, so oh, uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about it. And uh, also, Rosemary, I've got a comment on your website. Um, it's really quite lovely, and that for our listeners is www.rosemarymccracken.com. And I invite you, please, to go and have a look at uh, Rosemary's website where you can find out about all of her work. And it's a really lovely website. Thank you. That was designed by our wonderful Alison Bruce, uh, oh. who is the, what is Alison's title these days? Ex- uh, um, Executive Director of uh, Crime Writers of Canada. Yeah. And she does she does some website design work. So she put that together for me, uh, oh, many years ago, I think in, when Safe Harbor was about to come out, and it had to be redone uh, about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she, anything that, that is stylish about that website, uh, is, is, is Allison uh, must take the credit for. That's a very good word for it. It is a very stylish website. Um, it's simple enough that you can find your way around it, but it has a very nice look, you know, which is kind of in keeping with your... It, I, my, the website is fairly static. I don't change it too often, mm-hmm. but I, my blog is... Um, uh, Rosemary McCracken uh, WordPress. Uh, it's a WordPress uh, blog, and okay. that that I keep more uh, more up to date. I my posts I uh, post uh, fairly not fairly regularly, and whereas the the website is more more or less a uh, uh, you know a, a list of my, of my works and my writing and and that. Mm-hmm. And where can our listeners find you on Twitter, Facebook, uh, that sort of thing? Uh, my work. My my um, my blog site is Rosemary McCracken, all one word, Rosemary McCracken dot WordPress dot com, and my uh, Twitter is uh, is uh, R C McCracken. So at R C McCracken. At R C McCracken. R- Rosemary Catherine <laughs> McCracken, capital R, capital C, capital M McCracken, and the Facebook is um, Facebook dot com slash Rosemary McCracken. Okay, or you can just, just look me up on Facebook, I guess, by the search. Yeah, just box. just using the search for Rosemary McCracken, and that is yeah. M C C R A C K E N. That's right. Hmm. Thank you very much, Rosemary. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Do you have any last-minute tips for our writers? Uh, I know we've covered a couple, but uh... it's uh, the landscape is changing so much in in, uh, in the last few years, and I, I expect it to change 
even more. I have a very talented group of 14 people in my class this term at George Brown, and some of them are, are terrific, and they're writing in all sorts of uh, genres. I think there's only one or one who is doing mysteries. A lot of them are doing fantasy and science fiction, uh, which uh, uh, I I don't write in, but they uh, are very. Some of them are very very talented, and I just only hope that they keep. Uh, keep at it and mm -hmm. this is what I tell them it's just keeping at it and not not giving up and especially when uh, many in the class are younger they're younger than me uh, that is they're in their 20s and 30s and they're at the time in their life when they'll have a lot of they'll have probably starting families and uh, raising children and all of, all of the work that that entails but if they can just keep a little bit of time for their writing uh, set aside a, a Sunday afternoon perhaps yeah, that, that yeah. while they're young time. and this is what because I tell my so children that time of life that you're you know it's going to come in the way you're going to have to buy houses and educate children and all of that but just don't don't give it up uh, even if you have to reduce the time that you spend on it um, and I, I only wish that I had started earlier like them mm -hmm. and uh, in my 20s and uh, because it uh, you, you get better Yes, you, really you sure do. do. You, even you, if it's only at, a few minutes every day, even if it's only yeah. journaling in those really yeah, difficult yeah. times. Um, yeah, but yeah. don't put it on hold, you know, for, for, for 10 years, because going back to it, it will be very hard at that point if you just kind of just make a little bit of time for it. And uh, so that, that, that uh, by the, the time that you have ready to spend more time when your children are growing up uh, or off to college, uh, you will, you know, your, your skills will be, you'll be, have, you'll have honed your skills over that time. That's so don't exactly give right. up. Yeah, that's exactly right. Just keep going. Keep putting one word after the other exactly. and keep exploring. I would add, um, keep exploring your themes because as we yeah. talked about Rosemary yeah. and I earlier today, um, we don't always, as authors, even understand our own themes. They they yeah, appear, and yeah. other people point them out to us. But yeah. if you explore your themes, you can ride them, you can manage them, and I think that yeah. you can, you can let them take you where your writing needs to go. Exactly. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Thank you very much, Rosemary. It was a great pleasure having you on. And thanks, just... thanks for this opportunity, Donna. Thank oh, you. you're very welcome. My thanks go out to Rosemary McCracken for joining us today on the pod. And now I'm delighted to read her outstanding crime story, Antonia, which appeared in World Enough and Crime, the anthology by Carrick Publishing, 2014. Antonia by Rosemary McCracken Editor's Note Award-winning author Rosemary McCracken explores the niceties of white-collar crime and conscience in this ingenious story of high finance. I'd been managing Antonia Verdi's investments for almost a year before we realized we had a lot in common. We're about the same age, we have teenage daughters, and we enjoy classical music. After a meeting in my office last September, Antonia presented me with a ticket to a performance of Mahler's Ninth at Roy Thompson Hall. She said the friend she'd planned to go with was away on business. 
It was a delightful evening that began with dinner at Penelope's, the Greek restaurant on King Street. Antonia is funny and feisty, with a knack for turning her life into a great story. She had me in stitches with the saga of her impending divorce. The Prince of Darkness wanted to split the cat, her eyebrows lifted toward the ceiling. Now what kind of a bastard would want to split a cat? Maybe I shouldn't have laughed, because then she grew serious. She told me she was pleased with the settlement she and her soon-to-be ex had hammered out. She would get Marigold, the high-end spa they had opened ten years earlier, and the family home in Rosedale. The ex, who ran his family's construction business, would take the summer cottage on Lake Muskoka. What I hadn't realized with all Antonia's banter was how shattering her marriage breakup had been. Joe and I were in our teens when we met, she confided, in a voice that was husky with emotion. I thought we'd always be together. I was surprised. I'd thought Antonia had everything. Looks, charm, style, and a successful business. Another woman, she dabbed a corner of an eye with a tissue. Younger. I knew all about that. After my husband died, I discovered he'd had another woman in his life. I shook my head. Well, you seem to have landed on your feet. She gave me a weak smile. I've tried, Pat. I've most certainly tried. After that, we started meeting for lunch every few weeks at Shea Felix. At a lunch in November, Antonia took two tickets out of her handbag. La Boheme, my favorite opera. She kissed her fingertips. When I visited Minona as a child, we'd listened to her record of a performance conducted by Toscanini. Magnificent. She handed me a ticket. Friday. It's my birthday present to myself, she said. On Friday evening, Antonia was uncharacteristically subdued. It's good of you to come tonight, she said, when we'd given the waiter at Alice Filzuli's our dinner orders. I was taken aback. I love opera, and the ticket she'd given me had cost several hundred dollars. It's my pleasure, I told her. I seldom get to an opera. I had ordered champagne cocktails, and I clinked my glass against hers. To a lovely evening and the best year ahead you've ever had. She raised her glass to our friendship. Seriously, Pat, I'm happy you're here. This is my first birthday without Joe since I was 18. My heart went out to her. I reached across the table and squeezed her hand. During curtain calls after the opera, the audience roared its appreciation. Antonia turned to me with tears on her face. I gave her a big smile and nodded, knowing my words would be swallowed up by the noise around us. After a final round of applause for the orchestra and its conductor, we remained in our seats. Bravo, I said. You liked it. Loved it. Then she reached into her handbag and pulled out an envelope. Would you roll this into my portfolio, Pat? It's a little more than 3000 from clients who paid with cash this month. I was caught off guard. 
But her request hadn't come out of the blue. When Antonia first came to me as a client, I'd asked if she expected to make any cash deposits to her investment account. She told me that most of Marigold's customers paid with credit cards, although a few paid in cash. This was her first cash deposit, but I didn't blink an eye. $3,000 in cash payments for the month seemed fine to me for a business that was a smash success. I nodded and took the envelope. I've paid off most of the loans I took out when we started Marigold, she said, so now I can put away some money. I smiled in approval. Antonia not only had looks and personality, but she also knew the importance of making her money work for her. I had a fabulous time at Antonia's Christmas party. I'd been itching to see the trendy Yorkville spa, and I wasn't disappointed. Marigold was done up in grand style that night, with lavish floral arrangements and a giant spruce tree beside the sweeping staircase. A string quartet played Christmas music, and waiters in white tie and tails circulated with trays of champagne and hors d'oeuvres. Antonia treated me like a celebrity. This is Pat Tierney, she said, introducing me to her other guests. She's my financial guru. I spotted a few of my financial acquaintances among the well-dressed guests. I'm looking to expand my client base, Antonia whispered. But you're investing my money, not them. I gestured with my champagne flute toward a handsome, dark-haired man with a touch of silver at his temples. He was talking to a dark-haired girl who was a younger version of Antonia. Your ex and your daughter? Yes, that's Joe and Bethany, she said. Joe's here tonight for Beth. I think both her parents should be present on big occasions like this. Joe will be at my parents' dinner on Christmas Eve. Joe gave his daughter a hug then headed over to a cluster of men and women in formal wear. And them, I asked. Antonia shrugged. Joe's clients, or potential clients, industry and government types. He asked me to invite them, said it would be good business for both of us. Joe gestured for Antonia to join the group. Time for introductions, she said. Catch you later, Pat. The rest of the evening flew by in a heady mix of champagne, music, and laughter. I didn't see Antonia again until I was leaving. She handed me an envelope. A couple of grand from the past three weeks. I want to see it in your capable hands before we shut down for Christmas. We had a brutal winter in Toronto. An ice storm in late December left much of the city without heat or electricity for five days. That was followed by three months of bitterly cold weather. Late one morning in February, Antonia blew into my office. I'm taking your boss out of here, she told Rose Sisto, my administrative assistant. She's working far too hard. My next appointment was at two, so I let Antonia sweep me off to Shea Felix. I wasn't just talking about taking you out of the office, she said, when we were seated at our favorite table. We're going to the Bahamas next week. How does Nassau sound? A holiday in the sun was exactly what I needed, but I had client meetings scheduled back to back for the next three weeks. It won't cost you a penny, Antonia said when I expressed my regrets. Consider it a favor, otherwise I'll be completely on my own down there. I explained why I couldn't leave my practice just then. 
Antonia didn't look convinced, but then she ran a different kind of business. I moved on to another topic. She had said she was in a position to put away more money, and I hoped she would funnel some of Marigold's credit card revenues into her investments. Now that I knew she could afford a vacation for two that winter, I broached the subject. A week at a sun resort is an absolute necessity every few months, she said. It's my way of recharging, and with all the stress I've been under this year, I'm in dire need of some serious pampering. She had a point. But for me, sun vacations are strictly luxuries, and I seldom indulge in them. The cash Marigold brings in will go into my investment portfolio, she went on, but I still have rent and salaries to pay. Before we left the restaurant, she handed me an envelope. I took it, troubled by the pattern that had developed. While I was delighted that Antonia was putting more money into her investment, I knew that financial professionals like myself can be the targets of criminals who want to muddy the trail of the proceeds of their crimes. They see us as their tickets to turning dirty cash into stocks and bonds and insurance policies. That's why we're required by law to report cash transactions of 10000 and more to the federal government's Financial Intelligence Unit. But Antonia's cash deposits were way under that amount. Besides, I knew this client well. She ran a business where some people paid in cash. I gave her a smile and tucked the envelope into my briefcase. In March, I found myself at Roy Thompson Hall again, this time with a friend from Montreal. Nancy was in Toronto for a conference, and I'd bought us tickets to a concert that featured the renowned cellist Yo-Yo Ma. We hadn't seen each other in two years, and we caught up over dinner. We were settling into our seats when I caught sight of someone who looked familiar across the concert hall. I adjusted my opera glasses, and sure enough, there was Antonia, stunning in a black dress with a plunging neckline, her dark wavy hair swept back with combs. The man seated beside her was Joe. When I pointed them out to Nancy, she peered through my opera glasses, sniffed and handed them back to me. There, divorcing? Could have fooled me. I took another look. Antonia and Joe were holding hands. Antonia spotted me in the lobby on the way out. She gave me a jaunty wave. I waved back before the crowd swept us toward different exits. The next day, she dropped by my office, wanting to do lunch. I told her I had a client arriving in less than an hour. She perched on the seat in front of my desk. Her face was pale and there were dark rings under her eyes. Joe and I had dinner last night to thrash out the final details of the settlement. Then he surprised me with tickets to Yo-Yo Ma. I waited for her to continue. He's hit a rough patch with the babe, she said. And he wants to come back, I mused. He's hedging his bets. You could trust him again, I asked. They'll work it out, she shrugged. He's too good a catch to walk away from. She opened her handbag, but instead of taking out an envelope, she took out a pamphlet. Interested in the Toronto Ballet's production of Romeo and Juliet? The guest star is Ludmilla Alexandrovich from the Bolshoi Ballet. She placed the pamphlet on my desk. The first performance is next week. 
Antonia insisted on picking up the dinner tab before Romeo and Juliet. It's the least I can do, she said. You made me a lot of money in the last two quarters. I was feeling mellow after an excellent meal. I'd love to take the credit, I said, but I can't. The market's performed well this year. Well, I'm happy, and I want to celebrate. She placed her credit card on the tray beside the table. Then she took an envelope out of her handbag. You'll do the honors, Pat, she said with a smile. I took the envelope, feeling uneasy. Later that night, I called Antonia's home. There's 12,000 cash in the envelope you gave me, I said, when she picked up the phone. She told me the money had been paid by Carmen Ferraro, a Hollywood actress who had been in Toronto for a few weeks on a movie shoot. I went to her hotel myself. Massages, hair, nails, the works. It came to 12000 including a sizable tip. Carmen pays in cash. Something scratched at the edge of my memory. You have the invoice, I asked. That's not how these people do things, she said. They're rolling in money. I told Carmen what she owed me, and her secretary gave me the envelope. In my office the next morning, I called up Google and typed in Carmen Ferraro and found the newspaper column I'd remembered reading. Hollywood North is a weekly update on the film stars and directors who are in Toronto on movie shoots. Two weeks earlier, the columnist reported that Ms. Ferraro was in Toronto and had brought her own masseuse and beautician with her. Antonia had lied about Carmen Ferraro and I could only speculate about her holiday in the sun. The Commonwealth of the Bahamas is renowned for its beach resorts. It's also known as a money-laundering haven. Had she set up an offshore account? And there was the Yo-Yo Ma concert. Her relationship with Joe was far from over. I sent Rose off in a taxi to the Marigold with the envelope that held 12000 as soon as she'd left, I punched Antonia's office number into the phone on my desk. When she didn't pick up at the Marigold or answer her cell, I booted up my computer and hit the email icon. I told her that I was required to report cash transactions of more than 10000 I told her that I was required to report cash transactions of more than 10000 so I had decided to end our advisor-client relationship. I said I would transfer her assets as soon as she found another advisor. If I had deposited that 12000 into her account, I would have had to file a report, or I could have been party to an offense. And, if convicted, I would have been fined up to $2 million and sent to jail for five years. Construction boss faces corruption charge trumpeted the front-page headline of the next day's Toronto World. The accompanying article said that Joseph Verdi, president and CEO of Verdi Enterprises, faced charges related to the construction and maintenance of highways over the past five years. He allegedly used low-grade material that required subsequent repair or replacement, conspired with subcontractors to rig the bids, inflated charge orders, and paid kickbacks to win contracts. The Crown claimed Verdi had pocketed millions and fraud investigators had been called in to determine where the missing funds had gone. 
In a statement issued by his lawyers, Verdi protested his innocence and said he had welcomed the opportunity to clear his name in court. The statement added that he was currently traveling in the Caribbean in search of business opportunities. I folded the paper and shook my head. Antonia had played me for a fool, but I still felt sorry for her. Her love for Joe had made her a partner in his crime. For the next few weeks, the newspapers had a field day with the Verdi case. The Builder and the Blonde, Nassau Love Nest, and Secret Stash were some of the headlines that chronicled the missing money and Verdi's love life. The reports culminated with accounts of Verdi being brought back to Toronto to face trial amid speculation that there were other bank accounts yet to be found by authorities. Photos showed Verdi escorted by police and trailed by a blonde wearing dark glasses. Antonia was not named in any of the accounts. One of the stories mentioned that Verdi had been divorced earlier in the year. I'd received a letter from Antonia's lawyers telling me where to transfer her assets, but apart from that I heard nothing more about her until this morning. Miss Verdi made the Toronto Sun, Rose said when I arrived at the office. Nailed! Verdi's ex tells all, the Sun's front page headline screamed. The article said that Verdi had been found guilty of various fraud charges. His ex-wife, Antonia, had testified that she had put a little more than 500000 of the missing funds into investment accounts at several brokerage houses in Toronto. Weren't you suspicious of the cash packages, the Crown attorney asked? Antonia replied that Verdi had told her the money was for their daughter's education and their retirement. The Crown didn't buy it. But you continued to make deposits after you learned about his mistress and you filed for divorce. Why? Joe can be a charmer, as I'm sure his blonde can tell you, Antonia replied. He knew which buttons to push, but when the divorce went through, well, that broke the spell. I knew he wasn't coming back. The money Antonia had placed with investment advisors was only a fraction of what Verdi had siphoned off, the Crown Attorney noted. Where was the rest of the missing money? Better ask him, Antonia pointed to her ex-husband. Or Blondie. The article went on to say that because Antonia had cooperated with investigators, no charges had been laid against her. Verdi would be sentenced later in the month. I put down the paper and punched a number into my cell phone. Marigold, Antonia speaking. You're in the news these days. Pat, I, I, I'm sorry about this whole business, she paused. Can we still be friends? I hesitated. I was ready to welcome back my friend, but I wouldn't be her investment advisor. Sure, I said. Shay Felix at 12.30, she asked. Where else would we go? The end. My thanks again to Rosemary McCracken for the great interview and an exceptional story, Antonia. Are you a published author? Would you like to be profiled on Dead to Rights, the podcast? We'd love to have you, and we're now looking to fill 2019 weekly feature slots. Please contact me at carrickpublishing at rogers.com and be sure to say Dead to Rights interview in the subject line.
Do you have a question for any of our featured authors regarding the book business? Do you have a theme or topic you'd like us to address? We'd love hearing from readers and writers alike. You can touch base with us at deadtorights.ca, on Facebook under Dead to Rights, or on Twitter at Dead to Rights Pod. Of course, you can always find me, Donna Carrick, on Facebook under my personal page or as Carrick Publishing. We're also tweetable at Donna underscore Carrick, at Alex underscore Carrick, or at Carrick Pub. If you have any questions related to the book industry, for any of our authors, don't hesitate to reach out through our online forums. Be sure to join us next week when we'll bring you our interview with Marta Moran Bishop, author of Emotions, Dinky the Nurse Mare's Foal, and The Void. We'll also have a reading of a short story titled Belief by prolific Canadian author Jane Peterson Burfield, which first appeared in EFD1, Starship Goodwords, Carrick Publishing. All music for Dead to Rights, the podcast, including our theme song, Eyes of Gold, has been composed and performed by Ted Carrick. You can find more of Ted's work on YouTube at Ted Carrick Music. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Let it rock.